Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas. Today we have an incredible episode for you, but we do want to warn you ahead of time that it does contain um, descriptions of infant loss. Um, And even though this NICU journey is powerful and we know you are strong and wonderful, we just want to set you up for success when you're listening to it. So um, if you're in the NICU right now, maybe now is not the time. Find a place where you feel safe and secure. And also don't feel obligated to listen to it in one sitting. Be kind to yourself and be gentle with yourself and and know that if you need to take a pause from it or you need to come back to this episode at another time, that's just fine. You're doing awesome. Thanks so much. Hi, mamas, and welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. It's your favorite hosts. I mean, I hope we're your favorite hosts because we're the only ones. It's Martha and also Ashley. Ashley, I'm giving you two thumbs up and you can't see me because this is one of our special (laughs) social distancing edition podcasts. Uh, During this time, we know how important the podcast is for moms who are stuck at home or in the NICU and needing support. So today we're bringing you an extra special visit with Justina Oldehoff, who is very, very prevalent in our NICU community on social media. Mm -hmm. She has two separate NICU journeys that she's going to be walking us through. The first one is going to be episode one for her. It's going to be about Carter. And Carter is a special boy for a lot, a lot of reasons, but his life actually led to the creation of a nonprofit she leads called Carter's Cause. Um, Justina, thank you so much for being here today. Can you say hello? Hello. I'm, I'm, honored to be here. It's it's honestly an honor to have you. We've been talking about yes. having you on the podcast for we have since the beginning of it, honestly. Oh. Well, I'm so excited to finally be here. Yeah. And Justina's actually also um she is a member of our healthcare community. So I just want to lift you up because no matter how adjacent to the industry you are, I think your life has been totally upended. So thank you so much for all the the work that you're doing. I know your organization is probably uh, on hyperdrive right now, making the best for, for your community. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start at the very beginning. Um, how, how did you, did you decide you wanted to try and get pregnant? How was the, your pregnancy journey with Carter? Gosh, it was a, it was a tough journey. Um, my husband, Dan and I, um, we've actually been married for 12 years now. Um, and I had been told since I was 18, uh, um, it was likely we may not be able to get pregnant. I had severe Mm. endometriosis. Mm. So it was, can you describe just be, if anybody has never heard of endometriosis mm-hmm. before, could you describe what that means for you? Yeah. So endometriosis, it, it impacts, um, gosh, it impacts you physically, emotionally. Um, you know, it, it can, it, it can really affect relationships. Um, and really it's the, it has to do with your, with your in, insides. And, um, I don't know all of the the words that we would use from a clinical standpoint, but, um, it was daily pain for me. Um, pain when I would wake up in the morning, when I would work out, um, I'd gone through physical therapy, many different things to try to, um, 
to fix it. Um, many surgeries and every single surgery I had was a, gave me less of a chance that I, we would be able to become pregnant. Wow. Mm. Wow. So the, the fact that you became pregnant with Carter, was that through fertility services? Was it a surprise? How did, how did that happen? (laughs) It was a surprise. Oh my (laughs) God. (laughs) We, um, we actually had decided we were out to dinner one night and we're like, you know, maybe we should seriously try. I hadn't been on birth control for years and um, and it hadn't happened. And so we kind of were at that point where, you know, we needed to be okay with maybe not ever having a baby. Um, and we were at dinner and we decided, you know, let's seriously try. And if we needed to do alternative methods, we would. And actually at that time, little did I know I was pregnant. And two days later, we found out we were pregnant. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what do I mean, what even a journey to just get to that point yeah. from the time you're a teenager to be told that it just mm-hmm. might never happen to you. So yeah. having maybe reconciled that wouldn't be a part. How did you feel? How, how were you and your husband feeling about it? Oh, we were ecstatic. Uh, we were just mm-hmm. over the moon. Like it was, you know, because when it's something you don't think you're going to ever be able to get and to actually get it, it was like, wow, this is, this is a miracle. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, you know, that, that first trimester, we were so, we were filled with nerves because, you know, you hear about miscarriage and, um, you know, we wanted to get, and we were like, we have to get past that 12 weeks, right. That's instilled mm-hmm. in everyone's mind of, you know, yeah. the miscarriage um, component of it is, is talked about, um, when it comes to going to your doctor. And so, but aside from nausea, it was literally a picturesque pregnancy. Like it was, wow. and, and, and I wouldn't even complain about being nauseous because I was just so thankful to be pregnant. Hmm. So when you had talked with your OB about being pregnant and with endometriosis, did you have any high risks or was it like, we'll just kind of see how your pregnancy unfolds? Not at that time. Um, even with all the surgeries that I had, it's, uh, it's typical and things that I've read, it's typical for, um, for your first pregnancy that, um, unless there's a very obvious outlier, um, that, that nothing's extra is really done at that time. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So you were going through your, the, the first semester of your pregnancy was beautiful and you got to the 12 mark. Um, were there yes. any indications as you got closer to what would be Carter's delivery that things were, um, not normal quote unquote normal because what yes. is normal? Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> and we don't know normal in this world. Um, right. You know, we thought we were out of the woods. Once that second trimester began, it was like, it was beautiful. It was perfect. It was everything that you read about, you know, you read about, oh my gosh, I'm going to do my, my baby registry and plan the baby shower and get all this. So we had dates for the baby shower, um, in one in-state, one out of state and nothing, everything, every ultrasound we had, we had the growth scan. He looked incredible. Everything was fine. Yeah. Hmm. So can you walk us through what it was like when you started to have the first indications that you were in preterm delivery or that you're, I'm not quite sure what the order of things was for you because it's a chicken and an egg thing. Sometimes you're dilating without contractions and sometimes you're having them. What was that like for you? Oh, I remember it vividly. Um, it was January 18th of 2019. Um, that was also my mom's birthday. Um, oh. at that, on that day I was, um, I was 23 weeks and six days. And I remember I went into work and just a normal day. Um, and little did I know that that day our world was going to be completely turned upside down. I, 
um, that morning I had had some increased fluid and, you know, you read things online and, um, while it can be great, it can also not be great. And, and yes. everything, everything that I read was, you know, typically around that time period, you can ex- expect some um, discharge or some fluid. Um, as long as there's not blood, it doesn't say anything about needing to be concerned. So um, when I called my, uh, my doctor and, and explained what was going on, uh, the nurse called me back and she said, well, did your water break? And I, I'm like, I, I don't know. You tell me. Oh did my, my water break? I, I love <laughs> it when they ask you that. I'm You're like, like, how much are you dilated? I don't know. I cannot see, ma'am. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. So, so of course now I'm panicked. I called my husband. Um, and you know, I called my mom again, my parents, and they were trying, you know, everything's going to be fine. And I get to the doctor's office and our physician did an ultrasound. Uh, she, well, she did an, ex- an exam. Um, and then she said, I would like to do an ultrasound. She didn't tell me why. Um, but I remember going to that ultrasound and I was, I saw him, we hadn't seen him in a couple of weeks and he was just jumping around and mm-hmm. um, heartbeat was awesome. Um, but I, I'll never forget the look on my doctor's face. Um, mm-hmm. We're very close with our physician um, and, and I could really read her and she put her head down and she looked me in the Mm -hmm. eyes and she put her hand on me and she said, Justina, everything's going to be okay, but we need to get you to the hospital immediately. You're three centimeters dilated. Oh, wow. And how did that hit you? I mean, how did you even begin to process that information? I didn't. Um, my, my husband, Dan walked in at that, at literally that moment that she told me and it was chaos. I was screaming, crying. Um, I didn't even know what that meant. You know, you don't hear about these kinds of things. Like, what do you mean you can like, this can happen at 23 weeks and six days. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was just, no, it, it was just chaos. It was, um, you know, the doctor said, Dan, get her dressed put and the entire office came in and just, it was, it was controlled chaos and it, it, it was incredible. Like they, we, my doctor ran with me in a wheelchair to the hospital in wow. a snow, in a snowstorm. Wow. Oh my gosh. And is this the hospital you work at? It's within the same system. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, and how, how scary to have had such a quote, normal, healthy pregnancy to then all of a sudden have an appointment like that. I mean, what a shock for you. Yes. Wow. And had you known anybody who had delivered preterm, who uh, had any NICU stays, any type of high risk pregnancy before? No, no No one in our friend group or in our family um, had experienced anything like that. Mm. That's so hard. And it just, I feel like it um, just completely elevates that feeling of being in a movie, you know, that nothing that you're experiencing is real. How could it be real? You know? Right. Yeah. Wow. So you got to the hospital pretty quickly. It sounds like, thank goodness. I mean, um, I just, OBs are just one of the most spectacular kinds of doctors alive. I'm so grateful for them. So you, you got there, I assume they got you admitted as soon as possible. And what happened next? So we found out, um, that I was ruptured, um, and I was having what, what they called a slow leak. So my, you know, it wasn't a full, like you see in the movies, you know, when somebody asks you if your water break, you picture what you see in the movies, right? You're, you have all this fluid, but I was actually having a slow leak. 
Um, and I just, I remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, there were, there were probably 10, 12 nurses. They all had their, they all knew exactly what they were doing. And I'm just laying there like, I, I don't even, I can't even contemplate what's going on. And, and my yeah. husband's standing on the side and I just see him just staring. Mm-hmm. Like we were both in complete shock. Um, it hadn't quite mm-hmm. hit us yet. And so they were preparing me for labor. And at that moment, I don't know what that means. Um, and the neonatologist um, came in and after things had kind of calmed down and, you know, I was in the labor and delivery room, I have all these IVs and I get started on um, antibiotics and magnesium and all these different IVs and monitors. And it's like, I don't even know what all this means. Um, yeah. And so when the neonatologist came in, um, I remember him walking in and and he prepared us of the low likelihood of survival if our son was born over the next few days. And we had to, at that moment, face the possibility that we could lose our son. That's a lot to, I mean, that is, having been in the position before, the amount of information that you have to digest in such a small period of time is just, um, it's really incomprehensible. And, um, when, have you talked to your husband about how he felt in the moment too? I mean, because of course you are the epicenter of what's happening and it's you and it's your body. And then he's watching his wife and his child, right? It's it's such a different experience. Have, um, have you talked to him about what that experience was like for him too? Where, where his mind was at? He, at that moment, um, he still didn't understand. He still did not realize what was going on. Um, Mm -hmm. because you know, he walked into chaos in the doctor's office and it was chaos in the hospital. And so that, that moment when things settled down, he took, he went outside with our physician, um, and just was like, what is, what is going on? Um, you know, cause we don't, we didn't realize that things like this could happen. And, um, he was the one that had to do the phone calls, you know, to the parents and, um, to, it was, a, it, you know, when, when I've talked to him and it was, he's watching not only me fight, he's watching us fight for our child's life. Yeah. yeah. And so he's also taking that burden, but there's nothing he can do. And for him, that was probably the hardest part was not being able to do anything is what he felt like. Yeah. Oh, that is so hard. And I think as, um, as diverse as the experiences of prematurity, preterm delivery, Nick, you are that the feeling of, uh, helplessness and lack of control is just, yeah. um, the most universal, right. Yes. Um, so how long were you in, were they, how long were they able to keep you in labor? Um, or were they able to stabilize you at all? So I, so the, the magnesium um, was able to kind of calm me down, calm the contractions down a little bit. I, I actually didn't have contractions um, up until I got into the hospital. Um, I was in labor for three and a half days. And, and it was, it was constant. It was around, around the clock. And, um, 
you know, but it was some, you know, stable at times. And, you know, they would check me to see how much more dilated I was. Um, and each day that passed, um, you know, my husband and I would set, we would set, okay, let's get to noon. Let's get to three o'clock. Let's get to six o'clock. Um, watching the monitor. I mean, I think, I don't think either of us slept that entire time. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's so hard. And, um, you, were you on magnesium that entire time? Yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> you, oh <yeah>. boy. <laughs> but we had the listening pool. knows what that's like. Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah, had, it is awful. It, it's horrible. And we had to pull the magnesium on a Monday because you can only be on it for a certain amount of time. And right, so, right, right. um, we had to pull the magnesium on Monday, um, January 21st and, and my health was starting to deteriorate. I could hardly breathe. Um, oh, you know, the magnesium yeah. part of that's part of the side effects of that magnesium. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, you talked about the, the moments where you're saying, we're just going to get to this part, to, to yeah. this time, to 12, to three, you know, um, what were the, what was going through your mind? What were, what, what else were you doing to kind of endure? I mean, cause that requires next level resiliency, what yeah. you did. It's, I thank God for my husband every day. Cause he, um, you know, I needed someone, he's always been my rock, but in that moment it was, he, he really had to take charge of the situation of like with me and like, make sure he reminded me to like, to relax. Um, so actually I downloaded an app that had like, um, quick meditations. And every time I'd have a contraction, I, I start, I'd put that on, I'd rub my belly and I'd sing, um, you are my sunshine to him every time. And, um, you are incredible, Justina. Wow. It, it, it was emotionally, like I could never even begin to describe how, you know, you're, you want to do everything in your power. And it's like, you know, it's my job to protect him. Um, but I, but I also know I don't have control over my body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think, um, you know, I know this it was this way for me too, but I, I, I feel like I took my body and my health a lot for granted before. I mean, not in the way that I, you know, I, and the before I thought, well, I'm never going to be a triathlete or whatever. So, you know, I can eat whatever and do whatever. But the fact that, um, things in your body and your physical health can be completely and entirely out of your, out of your control. There's nothing that you could have done differently. There's nothing you could do currently in the moment that would change. And that is, that just feels completely helpless. So I'm, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, you just, you want the, the, you idolize and dream of what that moment will be like, what your delivery will yeah. be like, especially if you've um, had to endure infertility and you didn't think it would even mm-hmm. be possible. So then that, yeah. that moment becomes even more elevated. I would imagine in your mind, you know, it's just that much Absolutely. more precious. Um, Absolutely. So at what point did they decide that <clears throat> Justina's health is not well, Carter is health is deteriorating what we need to deliver. At what point did that happen? Uh, so that day, you know, we knew once we pulled the magnesium, it was, um, going to be a matter of time. We didn't know it, you know, they said it could be hours. It could be a couple days, you know, it was likely I wouldn't go much further. Um, and so on that Monday, the January 21st, um, I actually got to eat for the first time 
And I tell you, it was mm-hmm. the best bagel I ever had. <laughs> oh my God. And, <laughs> um, and then probably about an hour later, it was like, something's different. I, I just knew it's amazing because people always say like, you know, your body, you know, your body. And while yes, in my whole life, it's like, okay, you have those gut instincts, but this was the first time in my life. I was like, I know there's something different. Um, and they would check me throughout the day. Um, and I actually started getting a fever and that was very alarming. Um, because typically that leads to infection or means an infection's brewing. Um, and my blood cell, my, my counts were going up and elevating. And so on that day, um, later that night, I said, I, I need to be checked. And so I remember the nurse, she, she just did a quick check and she says, I'm going to go call, um, your physician. And I went, I just, I just knew something, I just knew something was wrong. And I, my physician came in, um, and she Justina, you are nine centimeters dilated. It's time. And I, I just remember screaming and like, I'm not ready. I can't be ready. I'm 24 weeks and two days. Like this can't happen. Like keep him in there. Um, and she cried with me and we all knew in that moment that, you know, they said if he, if he cries once, that was a good sign. Um, but so, you know, so I hold on to these moments of hope and, um, he was born at nine Oh six, um, after 30 or 40 minutes of pushing. Um, and he was one pound, eight inches, one pound, eight ounces and, uh, 12 and a quarter inches long. Wow. So did you have a C-section, Justina, or was it vaginal? It was vaginal. Wow. I'm, and how, how quick did it happen? And I imagine your husband was still able to be with you, standing next to you. Yeah. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of people in the room. Um, yeah. You know, the, no, there was quite a few nurses, the entire, you know, the NICU team, respiratory Um, and so my husband, I just, I remember looking over and he had his hand over his face and Mm -hmm. in that moment, you picture that moment of joy and like your husband being there and like, all right, let's go, let's do this. And the excitement. And I just looked over and his eyes were filled with fear and Mm -hmm. it broke my heart because I knew, you know, I knew there was a big chance we were going to lose him. Um, And when he was born, we heard, um, we heard him cry twice. Oh my God. And it was, it was beautiful. Um, and they whisked him away. I didn't get to touch him. And, uh, I sat there and I looked over and watched them fight for my son. And I watched, we had to sit there and watch them fight for his life and get him stable. So he was intubated in the room with you? Immediately. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's Everything. so hard. Yeah. And it was, and I didn't really understand what I was watching. I just knew they were working so hard for our son. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is, uh, of course, this is a very um, subjective thing, but I imagine that's got to be uh one of the pieces of trauma that's really, that really sticks with you. Uh, I mean, you're, he's hovering between, you know, life and death so closely. That's just horrifying for you. 
Yeah, it is. And, and immediately after that, um, I got to, they rolled him over to me and I got to see him and it was the, that moment was one I always dreamt of and I couldn't help but be scared to death. Um, but I also remember a smile coming to my face because I'm like, well, that's my son. You know, I, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. I'm proud to be his mom. I'm watching him fight for his life. But in the same time, it's like I'm crying. And um, I had 15 seconds and they're like, we have to go. We, we need to get him to NICU immediately. And they literally ran with him and my husband following mm-hmm. behind. And there I was in my room by myself. Oh my goodness. What just complete whiplash. I mean, everything yeah. so quickly. I feel like I've even yeah. seen a picture of you seeing cart like that moment that you described. Yes, I um, did. And that, that it's so beautiful. Um, it, yeah. everything you just described is completely cap- encapsulated in that photo. So, well, maybe we'll have to share it here when we do yeah. the, the podcast, but, um, so everyone leaves and are you like literally alone in the room? So my nurse, um, gosh, she's, incredible. Um, she, so she of course was with me to, you know, clean me up and do all of that. And I remember she brought me food and I, um, just sat there. I didn't, my, our moms, um, they were outside in the waiting room, but I didn't want anyone to come in until I knew if my son was alive or not. And mm-hmm. it, I sat there and got the nurse and I said, can you please just go in there? I need to know if he's even alive. Like I need to know what's going on. Um, yeah. And I remember her, she came back in, she said, they're stabilizing him. He's looking okay. And your husband's in there and he said, he'll be in soon. And I just sat there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so um, interesting to hear this experience of yours because I feel like a lot of um, preemies who are born this early are um, born via cesarean. So Mm -hmm. uh, you are, uh, there's a lot of recovery time that happens and you're really, really drugged up. So I remember yeah. being like in and out and being like, what's going What year is it? You know? And yeah. so, I mean, to be pretty lucid during that part, that yeah. separation and those first couple hours, um, yeah. I really just admire your, um, the mental strength that you had to have. I mean, literally mm-hmm. just one second to the next and, um, did they come in? I'm not sure if you uh, then did you meet with a lactation specialist after that? Because I know that's like first thing they do. They're always like, okay, baby's born time to pump. Like, <laughs> right. that's how it was for us. They're like, you are now milk machine. Yes. No, actually, um, I I made everything wait until Dan came back in. Um, wow. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it was. I'm proud good. of you for setting that boundary. I couldn't do it. I was still in labor. They actually had me still in labor and delivery until he came back. So I didn't even go to wow. the postpartum unit yet. Wow. So mm-hmm. how long was it before he came back to to the room? Well, it seemed like forever. Um, mm-hmm. It was probably at least 45 minutes to an hour. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And, and what yeah. happened between you when he when you saw each other? I mean – when the last time you saw each other, you weren't really, you were just barely parents. And now all of a sudden yeah. you're, and there were a million people in the room. So now you're alone and he's got to relay all this information to you. How, how was it? We sat there and just, he stared at the floor 
and I stared at him staring at the floor and I knew we both knew that it wasn't good. Um, and he basically shared that, you know, they, they were able to stabilize him, but that's not what you want to hear. Right. It's, Oh, great. They were able to stabilize my son. It's like, I want to be able to be like, Oh, my son's great and pass the baby around. And here I am in a hospital room, deliver my baby. We're not with him. We have, we don't have family there to pass the baby around and we're sitting there just at like, we didn't, our minds were so overwhelmed that there was nothing there. It was pure Mm -hmm. shock. Um, Mm -hmm. and then we briefly talked and, um, then, then we had to be relocated to the other room. So it was literally like we sat in silence for a little bit. Um, we, it was, we didn't even know what to say to each other because it's like, how do you congratulations um I'm really excited you don't get to use those words mm-hmm. and and did how long was it before the two of you could could go and see him again together so we um we went um actually on our way to the postpartum floor uh I went in and I and I got to I got to see him and I just remember looking at, you know, they wheeled me in there and I looked at Carter and I just cried. Um, he was so small, so fragile. Um, and you know, in that first, they wanted me in there very shortly cause you know, we have to get everything situated. And, um, so I just, I didn't get to spend a lot of time and really grasp it at that moment. Um, and then we went to the, uh, to the new room um, and at that point, it was probably midnight or so. And then the lactation consultant came right in and said, we got to learn how to pump. And I was like, but I haven't slept in four days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And emotionally, like I was like, what? I don't, I still don't even know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I, I wonder too, because the, the experiences we encounter with moms just really run the gamut of, uh, how healthcare providers um, communicate and work with you during this. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think both Ashley and I've had the experience where some people are incredibly compassionate and they do everything Mm -hmm. they can to make it this as easy as possible. Take as many choices away from, you know what I mean? So you Mm -hmm. don't have to be sitting there thinking of um, trying to make crazy decisions. Um, And then some kind of operate as if you've just gave birth to a, a newborn who's in the room with you and is an honor, you know, a respirator and, uh, and are kind of, you know, aren't maybe as sensitive to what you're going through. I mean, what was your experience with the providers? Oh my gosh. They were everything to us. Um, we don't have family out here. And in those initial moments um, in labor and delivery, um, cause we, we were at, um, Littleton hospital and we, I've never seen a more, I've been in healthcare for 10 years now and I've never seen a more incredible group of women. Mm-hmm. Um, they, we had one of the nurses was like, she was, she was literally my mother. Like she was, let me, let me feed you. I want to give you food. Um, you know, the other nurse washed my hair and gave me a bath. She didn't have to do that. I'm in labor and delivery, you know, but I was like, I just want to wash my hair. Like I, and she literally just took the time to wash, you know? So it's, it was all these things that's like, 
I'm sure they were just doing their job, but honestly, that's why, that's why we went back to that hospital. They are the reason. And we are blessed beyond measure between them and the, our physicians. Um, they're the reason that we were able to go back. Oh, that's incredible. Um, that's amazing. When you transitioned from labor and delivery to NICU, um, and you kind of, I, I know the feeling what you're describing of having those people really care for you because you're the patient. And then you yeah. switch to kind of your NICU team who become your family yes. in another way. Uh, what yeah. was that transition like for you? Because everybody listening knows all of a sudden you have to get your um, medical degree pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, what, how was it when you were digesting all that new information and, and watching Carter in his incubator? Well, when we were, when I was able to go back in, um, I went in in the middle of the night for the first time and actually was able to interact and, um, just the sweetest nurse came and, um, she looked at me and she says, I'm going to be caring, you know, he was on a one-to-one ratio at that time or two to one at some points. And, um, I'm going to care for him and I'm here for you with whatever questions you have. And in that moment, you know, when you first really get to, um, look at the surroundings and hear the noises. It's like, I want to know what every wire is. What is this beep? What is that beep? And, you know, something happens and then all of a sudden people are rushing over and it's, while they were always there and available to ask questions, you sit there and you don't really know what to ask. And Mm -hmm. they could sit there and tell you all the things, but it's like, what, but what do I want to ask? What do I need to know? I have no idea. Um, but they've, they were incredible. It was more on me of like, I don't even know. And, but I, I, I broke down and cried and she just came and sat next to me and hugged me. And that's what I needed. Um, to know that, you know, someone that was the person that was caring for my child cared for me just as much. Justina, do you mind me asking, what yeah. was your NICU nursery setup like? Did you have your own room? Were you in a nursery where there was other babies around you? We had, it was um, kind of an open space, but you have your individual, like the, it was like individualized little areas. Okay. So it wasn't like a closed room. Sure, like okay. pods, I think. Yeah. They call it sometimes, it. yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. So there was, you could kind of see what other families were experiencing at the same time, sort of yeah. at least. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were in kind of that pod like structure, did you feel like you were able to have privacy or did it feel like you had many other eyes? Like, what was that like for you? It was fine. I, I actually never experienced an issue with it. And, you know, I think the way that they set it up too is, um, they had, you know, there was, there was an empty one next to us for some time. So I think that they intentionally try to space them out until they can't sure. any longer. And so, you know, the walls were up enough. We had, um, we could put up the little curtains when we needed to. They also had a family room. And so I never really had an issue from a privacy standpoint. Sure. Okay. Well, it sounds like you became really close and reliant on your NICU uh, team really quickly. Um, I'm yeah. so, I'm so, um, I don't know if grateful is not the right word, but I'm so, uh, happy for you that in what would lead up to being like the worst experience of your life, that you had those, um, 
those people that you're to support you no matter what, especially if you couldn't have family right there. Um, were how long you mentioned your, your, you and Dan's moms were outside. Um, uh, how did that work within their first days? Did they stay around? Um, did they allow external family members in or was it just mom and dad? So my mom, um, she actually had to fly back the next day. So she actually Mm. never got to meet Carter. Um, and Dan's, Dan's mom was able to stay, um, for a few days and help out, you know, especially with the house and we have dogs and things like that. And so, um, she was able to stay and, and meet Carter. Mm -hmm. Wow. I can't, and what was, what was Carter like? I mean, what do you remember when you, when you looked at him for the first time? I mean, I I know those early, even when there's wires and everything, you just spend hours looking at their little bodies, you know? So what was oh, he yeah. like? Oh, he, I always say, I'm like, I don't think I had anything to do with this. He is clearly his mm-hmm. father's son. He has his long, he was long, like for, for a 24 weeker, he was 12 and a quarter inches long. He mm-hmm. had, he had his dad's legs, his knees, his <laughs> big feet. And I say, you know, we, we say big and heavy <laughs> lightly in the NICU as everybody knows. <laughs> um, and just, he literally, like, all, you could just, I could just tell, like, this is, will definitely, he will look like his father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, I just, I remember the first time of just him squeezing my hand or my finger, oh. and it was just the sweetest. Um, and the doctors, the doctor had said, you know, he knows that it's you. Um, his oh. heart rate is, or his heart rate is starting to drop. Um, and he's becoming more calm when you're here. And so, oh my goodness. um, that was, it was pretty, pretty amazing, um, part to see. Wow. And what were the biggest challenges that he faced in those early hours mm-hmm. and days? Uh, well, at first it, you know, they, the first day, um, it was good and it, it was, it was, you know, the more or less for, you know, as Nikki parents know, you know, the, the drops in the heart rate and the ventilator going off and, you know, cause he's, you know, obviously intubated and them having to come fix his levels. And, you know, so it was, it was what I would, you know, at that time, um, I can look back and now and say that that was a quote unquote good day. Um, you know, he needed blood transfusion and they had hard times getting the pick line in. And, um, but then you, then the next, we realized he had, um, they did a scan on his brain and, and when babies are born that early, if there's anyone that's experienced a baby that's born that early, you know, a big risk is um, a brain bleed. And, um, when, when I came in and I had found out that they did a brain scan early in the morning, we knew that that was not good. Um, and this was, uh, this was day three that we went into and the doctor sat us down and said, you know, here's some things that are going on. Um, and we found out that he had, um, a grade two, potentially three brain bleed. And mm-hmm. he walked us through exactly what that meant. Um, and at that moment, you know, when he really, he walked us through some, a couple of other things that weren't you know, there's heart valve, which is very common in preemies. It may not open it um, on its own. There's, uh, I can't remember the part of it. Um, but that was our biggest challenge that we were 
going to be facing and, um, you know, quality of life. And my husband has always said, I can't with like, I want him to be able to grow up and him not, I I want him to be able to live a normal life for him. Um, and so obviously with a brain bleed that can come, especially the, the worse it is, it comes with bigger risks. And they said what they would do is, um, day seven, that they would do another brain scan and, um, depending on if it got worse or not, because typically day seven is when you will find, um, the extent of any damage. Um, so we had to go home with that, that day. And I remember we sat in the family room and, and Dan had lost a lot of hope and I saw the hope just dwindle from him. And I took, I'm one that I, I have to take some kind of small glimmer of hope and hang on to that. And Dan knows that. And that's good and bad in the NICU. Um, And that was at that moment, that was our biggest challenge. Um, And then things kind of got, got worse from there on our third day. Yeah. Yeah. I always feel like day three is when things take a turn. I don't know if there's something symbolic about that, but I mean, I know that, um, to hear that type of information with your spouse and the fact that you're processing it differently. I mean, how were you communicating about at that time? Were you just allowing each other to, you were just giving space at that point? Yeah, we talked, um, you know, we were in that family room and once again, it was snowing and we're both just, we're just talking about it. And, you know, like, what does this mean? You know, the doctor came through what that means, but you know, what does it mean for us and the decisions that we may need to make? And, um, you know, we wanted to just, we wanted to just get that moment, just go home and just kind of be and, and let it really sink in before we, before we really had to think about that with each other. I think we needed to process it alone first, but, you know, we did talk about those, some of those initial things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and what happened when you returned to the hospital? When was the next time that you did went back? Um, so that night, um, Dan went to go get us food. And I remember he left and he um, called his mom, who was still at home with me. And I had wanted to go back to the NICU. Um, I wanted to go back a little earlier, Dan was like, I'm happy to take you. I'm just, I am, I'm not ready yet. Like I, I just need some space. Um, and so I was like, no, I completely understand. And, and so he called his mom and it was at the time I didn't connect anything. And, um, she said something about what kind of sauce I, I wanted for my, my food. And, um, she walked outside and I'm like looking at her and just, it was just a little strange, but I didn't think anything. And she comes and she goes, um, let's go see Carter. And I said, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, Dan called, they need more milk. I was like, okay, like, let's go super excited. Let's go see him. And, um, it was an interesting car ride because neither of them really stopped talking. And so I was kind of like Is something going on. Like, did I miss something? And, um, we got there and Dan's mom had, um, had left. She went to go get us some waters and I remember we walked out of the elevator onto the Nikki floor and Dan stopped me and he said, we're not here to give, to give more milk. 
And I go, what do you mean? He said, I know I wouldn't have gotten you out of the house, but the doctor needs, if I told you really why, and he, and he knows me very, very well after being married for so long that if he told me something that I would have not left the house. Um, And so, you know, to me, it was, some people may be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did that to you. But no, he knows me very well. And he knew he needed to do that to get me out um, and to go to the hospital and um, without kicking and screaming. And um, he said, the doctor called, you know, the doctor called and, and he needs to talk to us. And I knew that that wasn't good because, you know, in the NICU, they always say, if you don't hear from us, all, all, everything's good. And so when you hear from them, you know, every time your phone rings, you, you freak out. Um, and so I, we walked in there and um, Dan wanted to talk to the doctor alone by himself. Cause like I said, my, my downfall was I always had that glimmer of hope that I had to hold on to. And Dan is very, he just needs the, the cut and dry version of it. Um, you know, he needs, he's very black and white. I'm one that's okay. I'll take the black and white, but tell me there's some gray. Um, and I sat there and the nurse came over and I said, I know in my gut that this isn't good. Like I, I knew, I had no idea what was going on, but I knew it wasn't good. And the doctor sat us down and, um, Carter had, developed NEC and I can't recall it's necro I can't remember exactly what it what it stands for um but it's basically he has holes in his intestines mm-hmm. and it was to the point where it was not repairable and he said I'm I'm not asking you I'm telling you what you need to do and in that moment I realized that we would be losing our son and I, I remember that feeling of just, I, my, I was empty. I, I was complete, I was sick to my stomach and my heart physically hurt. And I just felt so empty that I had to give the doctor permission to let my son go. And that moment we sat in that family room with the doctor and, um, you know, of course, a lot of tears and anger and, um, you know, is, are you sure there's nothing we can do? Are you sure? Um, and he said, you know, there's surgery you can do. He goes, but you, you know, and he walked us through of, he's so tiny. We don't know how many holes he's, it's, you know, he's having his own feces come into his body and it's creating, you know, there's bacteria. And, and he said, you're, we have to really look at the pros and cons and this is what the right thing for, to do for him is. And, mm-hmm. you know, you think about yourself and, um, I want to try everything. I want to save him, but, um, it probably, that would not necessarily have been how it worked and it would have been very selfish of me um and I in that moment he needed the verbal from both of us and I just as hard as it was and you know the do you understand and I agreed that that was the right thing to do um and he said well one of the things that He gave us a very personal story and he said, I think you should hold him. 
Yeah. And that, that moment, it was, we made the decision that we, um, he, we have to let him go. Yeah. And so you, you sit down and first of all, yeah. let me just say, thanks for sharing. Um, as, um, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go right now as a, a mm-hmm. mom who's been in that exact same situation you don't often, uh, you relive it every moment of every day, but you also don't verbalize it aloud often. Um, and you don't tell the story from A to Z every day of your life. So it is a huge gift that you're giving us and our listeners right now. So, um, Mm -hmm. I just want you to, to thank you for sharing this because it is, it will touch so many people's hearts to hear, to hear this. And I know, um, I know there aren't any words that can soothe this wound, but we're so, so very sorry for your loss. Oh my goodness. Um, Mm -hmm. I hear about how you and Dan navigated these and I'm just, uh, I'm just struck by how lucky he was to have you as parents. My goodness. Mm -hmm. I think it was um, the perfect baby for the perfect parents. So you sit down and you get this news. And you and Dan move through a process as very much as you can, which is not a lot. Um, and do you then move to his room and um, and hold him? And is that the first time that you've held him, I assume? Yes, it would be our first and our last time holding him. Um, I remember they, you know, it's a lot of work to put a baby it's, you know, on all kinds of different wires and things. And I remember when they put him in my arms, I just, I just smiled from ear to ear because, you know, it's the first time holding my baby um, after 74 hours. Um, and I got to hold him and touch his toes and his fingers and, um, you know, his little nose and, uh, finally really got to see him without the uh I call them the eye goggles on for the for the blue light um yeah his his cool shades yes, right his really cool shades <laughs> got to come off and um I just sat you know we 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 took turns and um I just sat there and I sang to him and told him how sorry I was um the guilt is you know, I still have that guilt to this day. Um, and told him how much I loved him. And uh, Dan sat there and we did get some pictures with him, which at the time I was like, God, this is so weird. But it was the best decision that we could have made was to hold him and to get photos because we would have never had those, those moments of our only time as a, you know, little family. And, um, Dan had asked, he said, I um, would like to hold him next and I would like it to be just me and him. And um, so I I held Carter for a little over an hour um, and they gave him some, some pain meds. And um, I remember the doctor before he did that, he came in um, to check in and he looked at me and he smiled and he said, he knows you're his mom. And um, he said his heart rate is, his heart rate is down. We haven't seen him have stats like this the entire time. Oh. And um, I just remember putting my fingers on his heart so I could feel his beat. Um, 
and I had to say goodbye to him and I told him again how sorry I was and how much god how much I love that that kid and um told him that I would I would see him later and um because my husband said don't ever say goodbye you say we're gonna see you later and so I gave him to Dan and I remember looking at Dan holding his son for the first time and um and I walked away and I was physically ill um and I walked out to Dan's mom and I just fell and I just collapsed because I knew that once Dan came out that that was it and we sat in the waiting room and um I saw Dan walk out with a blanket and belongings and that was it he had Carter taken the last breath in his arms and I knew when I saw him that Carter wasn't with us anymore I'm I'm just I'm so struck by um how uh you know his his life which is was um too short um yeah. and his body which was so small had um an incredibly deep and profound lifelong impact on on you and Dan and then also mm-hmm. Every single healthcare provider, every single person, his little life encountered. Um, And, um, you know, we just thank you again for sharing that. It is, um, I'm sure you've experienced this, but talking about losing children is not something that our culture um, spends a lot of time doing. And that's why it's so important to do it because... I feel like I get to know him now because of what you shared. And, um, I am, I, I think it's beautiful. I, I, it's of course so tragic, but I am so grateful for the story that you just shared. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah. Thank you. And how, how was it when you were, um, you know, I know, I know what that feeling of emptiness is that you described, you know, yeah. it's just like the, you're, all of your insides just disappear and there's just nothing. Yeah. Um, and then of course you have to go through, um, postpartum recovery, which is not nothing. Um, and you go through hormone changes and you've started pumping. So then you have to either, yeah. you know, make decisions with that. How did you navigate the, the days and weeks after Carter's passing? It's been a few days and literal just pure state of shock and almost feeling emotionless um and it felt weird because it's like I should be crying I should be this but I was I was in such shock that I I had I my mind didn't have time you know I think about that whole week and I never had a chance to just sit there and actually have everything we just went through and think about it. And 
you know, I, I decided at that time, um, to keep pumping, um, so that I could donate because I, I was lucky enough to be able to pump, um, and to produce, uh, and learn how absolutely critical it is that especially those, you know, micro and preemie babies get milk. And I, I couldn't imagine being in that situation, having to also worry about that. And so I decided to continue pumping for a couple of weeks so that I could donate, um, my milk for other moms. Um, and I spent time, um, I had to figure out a way to process it. And, you know, there was, Dan and I are very different and how we, we learned we were very different in that grieving process. But what was interesting is, you know, I would, I'd go up in Carter's room and, um, I would just sit there and cry. And, um, there was times when I was angry and, um, you know, it, it, Dan would come in and for somehow it worked out over those first few weeks that when I was at my low, he was able to keep me um, and, and for him to stay strong and vice versa. When he was at his low, I was able to come in and be the stronger one. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, and he said, he said, I need you to get up every morning. I need you to take a shower. That's all I need you to do. And if you want to go lay on the couch, sure, you want to do this, but I need you to get up and get out of bed. And he said, I need you to do that for me because he knew if it was for me, probably wouldn't have done it, but because it was for him, I did it. Um, and you know, you have to go through the planning of what are we going to do with his body? What are we, things that you should not have to go through. A parent does not, should not go through that. And those were, those were just days that I, I can't even describe of, you know, picking out a stone. It's like, oh, what's the prettiest stone I want to pick out for my child? Why am I even doing this? It, you know, I, I'm not supposed to be here right now. And it just, it was a lot of different emotions that came. Yeah. One thing that I've just been continually in awe of, as you've been sharing, Justina, is yours and your husband's how you guys are such a wonderful team. Um, I know maybe it's impossible to put this into a sentence, but what was it like for your marriage coming home? Um, how was that like for you as a couple? Uh, you know, I, the first thing I started doing was like looking things up of, you know, how do you deal with your child dying? Like, you know, what, what, what do you do? Um, mm-hmm. And I could I could see how a marriage would end because, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of emotion that goes into it and roller coaster of, um, you know, one minute you feel one one way, the next feel another. And and for Dan and I, um, we were able to talk about it um, and just have some really raw conversation in the beginning and really be there for each other. And I think for us, it was, um, when I need to talk about it, I just said, you know, if he wasn't ready to talk about it, that, that moment, then I would just talk and I I just need you to listen. Um, and it's really figuring out, um, the two, you know, what works out for the two of you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I, it seems like writing had, has since everything that's happened with Carter become an outlet for you. You've written some incredible um, kind of contributed articles and things for different resources out there. Nikki resources. Yeah. You know, I, I needed to figure out my outlet and everyone's different. Um, To me, I'd never really been a writer. You know, I, I think I had journals when I was like five, but like I, you know, I scribbled it and that was about it. Um, But in that moment, um, everything was so vivid to me that I wanted to capture it for myself of, I wanted to write it out. Um, And that's where in that moment, as we, as I, I literally wrote about every day, you know, because it was, while it seemed like forever, it was only seven days. Um, total, you know, in in total of, you know, from going to premature labor to, to losing our son. And so I did, I, I wrote down each day and exactly it, it, they're, they're raw. They're very raw. And I, I didn't, I hadn't read anything like that. And that's why I wanted to do it because you feel very alone. You feel alone in the NICU. You feel alone in grief, even though you have support. Some people, you know, may not, but you know, my husband, friends, family, it's still very lonely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how did you find um, that uh, the people around you, I mean, it sounds like obviously that you and Dan have a, an incredible marriage and that you're, um, your immediate family was very supportive. Um, but you know, like I mentioned before, sometimes they feel, and like you said, there aren't a lot of resources out there or a lot of people who talk about this type of loss and this type of experience frequently. Um, how, did you encounter people, um, uh, who were nervous to maybe talk about it around you or were kind of, um, you know, we've had some moms talk about how friends who ghosted them because they didn't want to kind of even, they didn't want to impede on or or be burdensome. And so they just kind of disappeared. Or, I mean, did you have any experiences like that? And how did it change some of your relationships? You know, it's interesting because I've seen, um, you know, just on social media, I've seen just the anger of friendships breaking because of things. And, and, I have to be honest with you. I, I didn't, we didn't lose friends. Um, our friends actually, um, we got closer with some of our friends. I would say a lot of them. Um, and I think that part of it is, you know, I put myself out there and while not everybody is comfortable with that and that's okay, but if we, what I realize is over time, you know, we, people say things and, you know, we get mad and it's, you know, they'll say a phrase of, you know, I've heard that everything happens for a reason or right. phrases that you're like, how dare you say that? But if you put yourself in their shoes, what do you say? You don't know at the time, in that moment, they just want to say People, we, we want to fix things, right? And you know, when you right, lose a grandparent, right. like, well, at least you had X mm-hmm. amount of time with them. And what I realized is I can't be mad at them. I, while internally, yes, it hurts. It hurts to my core. I can't be mad at them. But 
I also need to be the one to educate them. Because if I don't tell people what I want or what I need or what's okay to say or what's not okay to say, then I'm going to keep being mad at them when it's not their fault. Right. I think that's great. I mean, I think that's wonderful. Like, because to me, that sounds like you set a precedence and a boundary in your relationships that said, this is where I'm at and this is what I need. And and I think that's... um, there was room for growth constantly, it sounds like, in in those relationships. And you were both learning in any type of relationship, you're learning how to move forward when things drastically change for someone. I think that's really wise. And I hope it didn't sound like I was, we're pushing you to the negative. I just, those, those no, things no. often come up and I, we wanted to hear your perspective on it. And maybe this is another way to pr- uh, pose the question then. What did your support system do for you that made the difference? What were the things that, how did they show up for you in those days um, that helped you move through the grief um, and heal? They showed up. They continued to, you know, we don't know what we need through the NICU, through grief. You have no idea in that moment. Um, And we had friends that said, we're bringing you dinner we don't, we can drop it off or if you want company, but we're bringing you dinner. Um, and those were the kinds of things that we had of people telling us what they were going to do. (laughs) And, and it was amazing because, you know, we had a meal train that was set up. Um, and, and it was up to us do if we wanted to interact, if we didn't feel like it, um, if we needed people to talk to you or not, we can make that choice. Um, we had friends of ours put a fund of money together to help us um, with the expense. And, um, but they just continue to show up and check in and um, do the best that they knew what to do and how to do in those moments. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes it would just be, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's really beautiful because I, um, like you said, people, they, they might, they just don't know how to behave. You know, we don't, it's not something I think we're taught about as we move through it and it's changing, which is great because of people Mm -hmm. like you sharing your story. Um, but, uh, it's just really simple, right? It's just someone checking to say, how are you? It's because after a certain amount of time, it, it might be that, oh, the texts and the calls stop coming, you know, it's the consistency mm-hmm. of showing up that makes the difference. And I, th- I think that's super beautiful. Um, and before we move on to talking about Carter's cause, I just want to know, what would you say to um, a family who is in the, the, the midst and the, the fog of a grief of losing a baby? You know, um, what, I guess advice isn't not the word, but what encouragement would you supply for them? It's hard. And it's important to acknowledge that it's hard. Um, there is no process of grief. And you need to allow yourself to just be. Be in the moment. Feel the feelings. And do what you need to do. Um, to to continue to keep going. And there's days that you may take two steps forward and then you may take 10 steps back. Um, and you go through the, I smiled today. How can I smile? It's okay to smile. Um, it's okay to eventually you will laugh again. 
um, that doesn't take away from your child. Um, they're always, they're all, will always be there, um, with you and it's okay to go and interact with friends and family again and, and to continue living. It's up to you and how you want to do that though. I've chosen to continue to live with Carter in my life every single day. Um, I honor him every day. I have friends and family that I've said, I need you to talk about him. He is my child. And although he's not here, I need you to acknowledge that he is my child and our child. Um, and you have to make that decision for you and what you want it to look like. Um, and that would be my, my biggest things is, you know, we become so fearful of um, it'll never be the same and it won't. Um, it's being able to accept that what happened the day before, you know, you lost or you started this traumatic event, it won't be the same. Um, it will look very different and you will have to figure out a new normal. Um, and you don't have to move on. You have to figure out how to move forward with, um, with that loss um, and bringing how, how you would like to bring them with you every day. Yeah. Well, I have to say, Justine, I really admire, um, and of course I'm from the outside, this is coming from the outside, but I feel like um, it was hard. It is hard for you every day, but I love the assuredness and the certainty and in, in knowing that you need to do what's best for you every day and in every moment. Um, and it's going to look every different every day, but I, I feel like that's such a powerful message because I, you know, I, I didn't, I don't think I did that. And I'm just, I'm just, it's like, you're like Oprah or something. I don't know. It's just, I call everybody over, but you know, you're just, I just feel like there's just an assuredness and a self-confidence in knowing like, no, this is my journey. This was my loss. And this is how I, I need you as the people I love to, to mourn and love and honor with me. And we can move forward together. I just, I think it's incredible to be honest. Um, I don't know if you feel like a strong BA lady, but I think you are. Thank you. I, it's, it's hard to feel strong sometimes, you know, it's one of those where it's like, you have a bad day and you're like, I am definitely not strong and that's okay. Um, you know, it's, it's, I do and I don't. <laughs> yeah. It just yeah. depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what did I eat for breakfast today? Was it cookies? Yeah. Or was it was it a grilled cheese sandwich? Neither of those are good options. And um, maybe it's cookies on the couch that day. And that's totally yeah. fine. If that's what you need to do, just don't do it every day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Writing down. I'm taking note. Do not yeah. every day. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for sharing. I, so tell us before we, we close, tell us about Carter's cause, what started it. Um, for those of you who don't know, Carter's cause is a really wonderful, um, Colorado based nonprofit that Justina started. Um, they have a great social media presence. They have a lot of great resources online and also have done really well with fundraising for March of Dines, March for Babies. So, yeah, thank you. We, um, you know, as I was, as I was writing, um, I decided to share. Um, so I created a little account where friends and family could to could read because, you know, no one really, you don't just lose a baby. Um, 
and you know, you weren't just in labor for three and a half days. There was so much that went into it. And I, and, and people wanted to know, um, like, what did we go through? And I realized that that as I was going through this process and, you know, I'd look up things and I'm like, I'm, I'm not reading anything that's raw. Like I, I want to see something that I can completely relate to of like this, this happens to other people. It's not just, you just lost a child, but I connect with those that I can relate to on that really nitty gritty level. Um, and I thought more and more I thought about, it, I said, I need one Carter will Carter had already touched so many lives. Um, and I want his legacy to always be around. Um, and two, I am a person and I have been my whole life. I help others. And when whatever context that is, I always want to help other people. Um, and so I kind of tied those two together. And I said, you know, I, I talked to my husband and we talked to our friends, a couple of close friends of ours. And I, I said, I want to start a foundation where we can help others who are going through loss, um, that we can help the support systems of those um, understand and kind of know what to do. And then the third, because we've kind of touched the whole gamut of that NICU experience. Um, And so from there was the Carter's Cause Foundation was born and um, to share our story, but most importantly, to help others. And even if that's just from sharing our story or being able to provide resources, you know, we have so much more work we want to do, but um, just being there for others going through these, these journeys. And have you found, I mean, we found this, so I would imagine it'd be the same for you too, but that act of giving back, is it, is it almost like a form of, of healing and therapy for yourself too? I mean, um, at the very at the very base level, it's a way to connect with other people, which is always so empowering. Absolutely, uh, it, it it has been um, part of my healing journey, and it continues to be every day. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, can you talk a little bit about the the Carter's Cause c- cards that you send out? Because I actually have yeah. some in my wallet. I keep them there yes. just in case. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I, um, so, you know, one of the things was, um, I knew we had some really tough days coming up, kind of those anniversary dates and holidays. And I knew that there were, there were going to be those tough days. And, you know, part of me was like, how can I, how can I reach out to others to give somebody, a a ray of sunshine that day? And, um, I decided to create these pay it forward cards and, um, where I've, you know, I wrote quotes on the back and, um, I would leave them random places. Like I would be at, um, Target or the grocery store, or the gas station, and I would leave them. And sometimes I would leave them with just a note. And sometimes I would like, I'd say, Hey, can you buy the person, you know, pick somebody out and buy their coffee today. And what I realized is I first did it over mother's day last year. Cause I knew that day was just going to suck. And I decided to involve others and invite others to do it with me. Um, And the days leading up to that and after that, I found that 
it made me feel better to know I can make somebody else's day. Yeah. Even though I was going through what I was going through, I just wanted to make somebody else's day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so cool. And I, I, in addition, I'm just remembering now, I also have one on my refrigerator because, and oh. I, this makes me sound like <laughs> such a stalker, but I, um, I don't know. You sent me like a sack of like 10 of them. Yeah. So, you know, I've done the, the coffee pay it forward thing, but I also, sometimes it's just nice to have it up there. Cause I think about you and your story and Carter every time I see it. And oh. I, I don't know, it just, it makes it, you know, it's, I, um, you know, we've never quote unquote met, but I do feel like a kindred spirit in you. And I really love yeah. your resources and your writing. So it's like, okay, okay. Justina can do it. So I can do it. Oh, I, just, I felt you. like you really have done such an incredible job of, um, like you said, um, you know, you've really, uh, your healing process, Ashley is like this too, but she, you dug down deep and you said, no, no, I'm going to create and I, we're going to do something. And you knew that the, there was going to be struggle and grief ahead in those holidays, but you prepared by doing something that would fill you with life. I think that's so yes. incredible and cool. And like the Thank only you. thing I can think of to do is watch Tiger King. So like I need more, <laughs> more outlets, I guess. Um, it's just so awesome. And I've, I've seen a lot on, uh, social media too, that you've been, um, giving back to the NICUs and bringing packages to the healthcare staff recently for the, in the COVID-19 crisis. Could you talk a bit about that? Yeah, we, so we actually, um, we did it over Carter's birthday and we decided we, it was something that, you know, I can either sit at home, you know, we knew there were certain things we didn't want to do. We didn't want to have a big group over. We, we just wanted it to be us that day. And, um, we took I, I some of our partners that we have with Carter's Cause. I had reached out to them prior to and just said, "Hey, can you donate?" Or you know, and they you know they came together and we put together these bags of um, some onesies and a bonding heart and um, a NICU journal and a couple of other things. And we went to our NICU that that we went to and donated um, all of those bags and then um, another NICU and we were we were able to give um, out 50 bags that year and so I'm really looking forward to doing that again and um, even more bags for this coming year. That's awesome. That's so cool. I love that. Oh, it was so beautiful what you shared about Carter. Thank you so much. So Thank beautiful. You. Yeah. Thank you yeah, so just, much. Yeah. And I just like I'm, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but I really am just in awe of your maturity, Justina. And I feel like, um, I can only imagine just how much your friends learned from you of just how to love well. And I mean, I just, I'm just in awe of your maturity and just how you recognized what you needed and also the boundaries that you needed to have in place. And Mm -hmm. it was just really beautiful to hear how you navigated this. So I'm just, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, it's been so wonderful having you. Um, And we're going to have you back in another episode to talk about your story with Erin. Because y'all, if you thought Justina's story was done, it started. Oh my gosh. You're like a celebrity at our house. I like, I wake my husband up and I'm like, guess what's happening with Carter's cause right now? And he's like, I was sleeping. Okay. So um, we'll be back for that. Ashley, I'll I'll give it off to you here. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much, Justina, for sharing your story and for sharing about Carter. Um, he is such a perfect boy. And so thank you so much for um, sharing his life with us. And mamas, we will link in the show notes how to connect with Carter's cause. Justina has uh, some beautiful resources on their website to connect you with. And so we will be back with part two soon, but we hope that this podcast episode reached you this week and we can't wait to chat next time. So Justina, thank you so much again. Thank you. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, please consider becoming a member of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear NICU Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the sisterhood.